So it might surprise many of you uh, when I say this, but I officially became a true believer two weeks ago. A true believer two weeks ago, right? Crazy. Uh, and I can, I can see this life much clearer now that I'm a true believer. And I, I've had this opportunity and I've, I've been sharing my personal testimony with everyone. And I, I just, I can't stop. I can't help but to share it now that I can actually see life. And I want to share it with you this morning. And I want to start off by saying that having LASIK surgery was one of the best decisions I ever made in my life. One of the best decisions. I mean, because I, I can see everything, meaning I can, I can see you this morning. A lot of times I would sit up here, stand up here and preach and I couldn't really see, but I can see you. So don't doze off on me, okay? Because I can see you clearly and I might call you out because uh, this is like a weapon now that I have to be able to see so clearly. But you see, I wasn't always that confident uh, throughout the entire process. Now, being on the, the, the end of it, it's the best thing. But sitting in that, that waiting room, preparing to have my eyes operated on wasn't the most comfortable thing. And one of the reasons it wasn't so comfortable is because right before I got ready to go in and have my surgery, I'm sitting there in the room and they're putting drops in my eyes and they got the smooth jazz playing and they try to keep you all calm and all that stuff. Um, But then all of a sudden, this lady comes into the room and she's hysterical. And this is exactly what she says. As I'm waiting to get my eyes operated on, this is the worst decision I've ever made in my life. I wish I would have never came here. I want to be done. I wish it would have never happened. Okay, great. Am I next? I can't wait. But there was this panic, this panic that I had, rightfully so, and it's because I didn't know what was about to happen. So immediately, my mind went negative. I'm mad at the, the optometrist. Why did you sign me up for this? I'm mad at the nurse that sold me on this. I'm mad at the, the, the surgeon that's about to do it because she's messed up. she messed up. She doesn't know what she's doing. I'm mad at everybody that told me I should get LASIK because it was a, you, you, it was a scam. Y'all got me here, and now I might not be able to see ever again. But I, I automatically went negative. And what was interesting about that situation is there was another lady that was in the, uh, the waiting room with me, and she was, there was a curtain partition. She was on the other side. So she heard all of this as well. And the, the doctor comes in that was doing our prep, and he's like, all right, uh, let's do some more drops. And she goes, um, so there was this lady that just came in here, and she said this was the worst decision she ever made. I'm, and I, 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 I got to say, I'm anxious. Meanwhile, I... I'm, a, I'm being, trying to be a man over there, but I'm like, me, me too. Can, I need to hear this answer because I'm, I'm with her. Um, and the guy, the guy told her, he's like, look, she, everything's fine. Like, she's having a much more technical surgery that's taken an hour, and we needed to, to take her out so we can go t- take a look at some things on, uh, on paper to make sure that we got everything out of her eye, whatever the situation was. But anyway, he was telling, basically telling us, look, you're getting LASIK. It's a quick, easy process. Hers is more technical. A lot of stuff going on. Me, Kellen, cynical over here. I'm like, no, nah, they're just telling us that. No, nah, that something's about to happen, and I'm nervous. And then what do you know, five minutes later, they're like, Kellen, you ready? Uh-uh. No, I'm not ready. So more on that later in the, in the, in the sermon. But what I want to highlight is I want you to think about just how often when things don't go according to plan for us, 
we quickly flip to the negative. When it doesn't go aligned to what we think should happen, what we feel like we know how everything should happen, when it doesn't go according to our plan, we automatically get negative with people, with the scenario, whatever it is. But just also think about our life, even from your life experience. More often than not, the things that we think are going wrong, the things that we think are bad, they oftentimes turn out pretty good and not as bad as we initially thought. And of course, the Bible tells us that. Matter of fact, that Romans 8.28, for those who love God, all things will work out for the good, for those that are called according to his purpose. And so you see, we, we have evidence even in our life. We have scripture that's telling us that look, th- things are going to work itself out. And even Solomon in our passage today is telling us, look, don't try to be a know-it-all. You, you don't need to know everything. You don't have to have all the answers. And when things don't go your way, it's, it's not for us to say, well, that something's going wrong or you don't know what you're doing. What we're called to do as, as Christians, as believers, is to trust and know that we have a relationship with the one person who does know it all. And that should be plenty for us. And so if you haven't already, go ahead and turn your Bibles with me to Ecclesiastes 8, because there's, there's three things that I want all of us to walk away with that's going to allow us to remain joyful and remind, r- remain fake, focused on God, even in those situations where we feel like things are outside of our control or they've gone completely chaotic or they're not going according to the plan that we think that they should happen. So three things that we'll talk about this morning. But verse 1 in chapter 8 starts off like this. It says, Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? And the hardness of his face is changed. So I'm going to pause right there because verse 1 is sort of a, a hanging verse. Of We have to get some context on where Solomon is coming from here. And he, he's still coming out of chapter 7, and he's, he's talking about just all the things that are going on in life, all the things that he's trying to figure out. And even specifically in verse 23, he asks this question. He says, all this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise. He's saying, I, I, I will be that one to be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been far off and deep, very deep, who can find out? So Solomon is, is essentially putting out a sarcastic question of saying, who is like the wise? And, and the answer is no one. No one is all wise. Can we get wisdom? Does, does God provide us with wisdom, wisdom all throughout life? Absolutely. But no one is all wise to know everything under the sun. Verse 2, I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Because of Israel's oath to God, then therefore they should keep the king's command. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause. For he, the person doing evil, does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing. And the wise heart will know the proper time in the just way. For there there is a time and a way for everything. Although man's trouble lies heavy on him, for he does not know what is to be. For who can tell him how it will be? No man 
has the power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There's no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given, it, given to it. All this I observe while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. You see, one uh, significant part of my life happened to me when I was about sixth or seventh grade. In that significant moment in my life is when I finally grew taller than my mother. Because now me being taller than my mother, in my mind, I was an adult. I could make some adult decisions here. I could, I could start to press the limits a little bit because I deserve some respect as a sixth or seventh grader. Well, of course, that's not the case. And I wasn't a bad kid, but there were times that I would press the limits a little bit to see what I can get away with. Uh, but there was one thing, one thing that my mother could say that would set me straight right away. And that was when I started to press the limits, she would say, just wait till your dad gets home. That would straighten me up right away. And you see, because my dad wasn't, you know, he wasn't 5'7 like my mother. He was 6'7, 250 plus, right? And by this time, he had a pretty good swing on a consequence, and that could straighten me out in a heartbeat. And so I, I, I had this, this, this fear of him, not a fear, not fear we're talking about where I'm scared of my father, but a fear that we should have for God, that, that reverence, that awe because of the power that he has. And a fear that we should have today of not being scared of God, but the power that he has, that we should have reverence and be in awe of him. And so when I think about the fear that I have for my father as, as Christians, as believers, as, as pe- just humans, how much more fear should we have of God because of the authority that he has, the, the ability to, 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 to do all things, to do anything to us? We should have that fear, and that fear should come in the, the lines of submitting to the authorities that he puts in our lives as well. And that's our point number one this morning is we need to submit to authorities in your life. Submit to the authorities in your life. See, Solomon is trying to give us wisdom on being able to submit to the authorities back in this day. But for us today, this is something that we need to constantly have at the forefront of our minds. Submit to authority. Because at, at the end of this life, God's going to judge us on his word, on what he called us to do. And part of that is being able to submit to authority and how we responded to authority. And I want to go ahead and address something right now because I just know in our entitled culture and in, in our society, but even in the Christian world, immediately when I say submit to authority, most of your minds went to, well, I, I mean, there are exceptions there. This is the reason why I don't submit. And that's something I want to challenge you all on this morning because it's easy to say to our wives, yeah, submit to me. You, you should submit to your husband. Yeah, we go around and pray that. Or even to the non-Christian, yeah, they should submit because God's in control. But for Christian men, sometimes we have the hardest time with that. Submitting to our authorities. Romans 13, 1, 2. I've heard this a lot over the last year. I want to read it. Take some time on this and study it afresh. It says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist, exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists 
what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Again, it may not be everybody, but I know as soon as I say that, you think, Acts 5.29, well, well, Peter, when they told him to stop preaching Jesus, he said, nope, I can't follow you, can't do that, because I obey God. You're right. Well, Pastor Mike talked about it this weekend. They told Daniel, don't go, don't go praising the God, don't go praying to God. He opened his window, prayed to God, because he can't obey, obey man, he has to obey God. I get it. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not discounting that. If somebody's causing us to directly sin, yes, that's the exception. But that's few and far between for us Christian men. And I think oftentimes what we tend to do, as soon as we get somebody that's saying something authoritative in our life, we automatically try to go to that. Automatically try to go to that. As opposed to what God is calling us to do is submit to our authorities. And all I'm challenging you to do this morning is find a way to submit to your authorities. And if you start to work through the layers, work through the layers, work through the layers, and you figure out, Hey, this is in direct opposition to God. This, me following this person is causing me to sin. Then you can pray about it, get counsel about it, talk to other people about it. But that can't be our automatic theme is to say, well, I'm not going to submit until they prove themselves worthy. No, no, God's not telling us that. God's calling us to submit to our authorities. And even as I say that, some people in here, you still might not like it. It's not my message. It's what God is telling us to do. I got a non-Christian supervisor, and it's hard for me to respect them because morally they're just corrupt and they do a lot of bad things. Submit to their authority. We're not saying submit to their lifestyle, but if if you have a job to be done, then you need to submit to their authority and do your job. Well, I got a boss that I feel like I can run circles around. They're not that good. They should have never been put there in the first place. Submit to their authority. It wasn't by chance that they got there. It tells us this. No authority happens except from God. And maybe God is trying to teach you something there. Maybe God is trying to teach you how to be humble, how to follow before you can get in a position to where you can lead. But again, want us to think first, how can we submit? Not necessarily, I'm not going to submit until this person proves worthy. That's not, that's not biblical. That's not the approach that we should take as Christian men because God puts us in situations under leadership that might be challenging because maybe he's trying to do something in their life. Maybe he wants to use you to do something in their life. So keep that in mind and think about that when you come to those situations where we want to buck the system or rebel or go against what the leadership is telling us to do as Christian men. Because we think we know best. And many times we, we, we don't know. We think we know, but we don't know. When I was a kid growing up, I used to ride horses. There was a Texas stereotype you didn't know. Yeah, I, I rode horses. If you're trying to picture me on a horse right now, don't do it, because it's, it was when I was a kid. But my uncle used to have these horses, right? And he... I would go out there every weekend and ride. 
And I got pretty confident in riding horses. And so, you know, I, I wanted to be like on those old westerns where you see these guys going like 60 miles per hour and they're just going on a horse riding, riding. I wanted to do that. But meanwhile, to warm me up, he had me walking around or the horse walking around with me riding on it. And I remember as a, a kid, I'm like, this is boring. I want to do something fast. I want to do something exciting. Like, let the horse go. Like, let me, let me, let me, let me do something here, right? And so my uncle being a much smarter and wise man than I am, knowing how a horse can respond and knowing I'm not ready for that, he finally said, you know what? It's a good lesson that you're going to learn today. He let the horse out of the corral. I thought I was ready. Wasn't ready. The horse took off. I'm on this horse. Can't control it. Can't get a hold of it. And he's going probably not even that fast. In my mind, he was going 100 miles per hour. Like I was full speed on one of these Westerns. And anyway, I'm riding, 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 and he comes up to a gate, and I see this gate, and I'm thinking, he's either about to jump over this gate, and we're just going to keep riding off into the sunset. I don't want to be a part of that. So I bail out. I fall off the side, bruise my ribs and all that stuff. Never got on a horse again. Uh, it was a bad decision. I bail. But even, even as I think about that, my uncle was trying to warn me. He knew what was going to happen. I thought I knew what was going to happen. And when things didn't go according to my plan, I, I bailed. And oftentimes in, in the Christian life, when we don't think, as Christian men, we don't think things are going according to our plan, we, we can bail out too. When there's a leadership or when there's a scenario that's not happening according to what we think should happen, we bail. But, but Solomon tells us this in his word. He, said, he, he tells us, do not be haste. Do not be so quick to leave, Right? And in order for us to not be so quick to leave, leave and flee in haste, there's something that we need to do to submit to our authorities in life specifically, and that's be able to give your authorities the benefit of the doubt. Right? Go into it saying, you know what, maybe they know a little bit more than I do. Maybe there is a, a reason. Maybe they're not trying to fail me. And not always be the armchair quarterback. Well, I wouldn't have done that. I would have made this other decision. Well, it's easy to say that when you have no skin in the game. But three things I would recommend and I would strongly encourage that you do when you have these situations come up is, one, yes, give them the benefit of the doubt. Don't automatically think they're trying to fail you or they're trying to do something to make your life hard when you get direction. The second thing is, if you feel like something's off, ask questions. Ask a few questions. How did you come to that conclusion? Help me understand that. And thirdly, don't be so quick to bail. Don't be so haste to, to flee from the situation. But first, find out how you can serve, how you can make the situation better, as opposed to being quick to jump and flee. You see, verse 8, Solomon tells us that we have these limitations in life. We don't have the ability to know everything. We can feel like we know, but we don't truly know everything. And he says that in verse 8, he says, no one can grasp the spirit, right? He, he's saying it's like the wind, right? We feel the wind, but we, we, can ne we never know where it comes from. We can't get a hold of it. There's limitations to it. No one can postpone the day of death. No one can postpone your day of death. I, being in the fitness industry, coming from there, people used to always say, well, if you work out, you get more years on your life. No, no you don't. You can be built like the rock and go outside and get hit by a truck and die. Like it, it, your, your, your day of death is already set. No one can escape that. No discharge in the midst of battle. 
the battle is this life that we're in. There's no way you can get out of it. There's death at the finish line for everybody. It's going to happen. And there's no way you can get out of it. No escape. It says, nor will the wicked, wickedness deliver to those who are given over to it. That thought of, look, the, the wicked won't prevail. It seems like they're getting away in life. Seems like they're, they have the upper hand. At, in the end, they won't prevail. But Solomon doesn't stop there. His confusion continues to kick in. Back in our passage, in verse 10, it says, Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city they had done such things. This is also vanity. You see, in ancient Israel, to be buried was, was, was an honorable thing. If you didn't get buried, that means it was, I mean, it was a misfortune for you. It, it just wasn't a good thing. You weren't highly respected. But he's seeing these people get buried, and so he's saying, why are they being treated with honor by being buried in the city that they just did so much evil in? He's having a hard time with that. Verse 11, because the sentence against the evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of children of man is set to do evil. So it's, come on, God, if you, would speed, if you would speed up the judgment, then people wouldn't do so much evil. It says, though a sinner does, not, does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, but watch this shift he does here. Yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. So Solomon's talking about life's injustices here. He, he's having a hard time understanding why does it seem like the wicked are getting away with things? Why does it seem like they're winning? Why does it seem like, God, I'm, I'm trying to follow you, but life is just hard. He's saying this, this is not fair, but, and we oftentimes say this, this is not fair, but where does fairness come from? Did you ever think about that? Like, how do we even get the concept of what's fair? Well, it's a gift from God. God gives us a conscience, right? This moral compass that we have in our, 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 our bodies, our, our minds, to know right from wrong. If I go over to a, a third world country and you know, steal from somebody over there, they don't need to read a law book to realize what I just did was wrong, and they're probably going to come after me. The problem that we have with this fairness thing is we think we take the, the right and wrong, and we feel like all the right should happen to us, and no wrong should ever happen to us, because we start thinking about ourselves. And this happened a lot when I was in corporate America. I used to do a lot of interviewing and hiring and uh, firing, in, in those situations, like if somebody didn't get a job, it was a problem. Like they thought about all the reasons why I discriminated against them or whatever. And I couldn't imagine being in nowadays with everything that's out there as far as what they can grab a hold on. But many people would have a hard time understanding that they weren't the person selected for the job. And oftentimes I would go give them feedback to say, hey, these are the reasons why we didn't select you for the job. These are the reasons I didn't select you for the job. And once I'd opened their eyes to many of the reasons that a lot of times they ended up agreeing with, then they could understand. They had a better idea. But really, what I really wanted to tell them is, dude, you're not that good. That's why you didn't get it. Um, I never said that, but it, it, once they understood that maybe there was somebody more qualified, maybe there was somebody better, then they had the ability to understand it and be okay with it. 
But the same thing happens in our, our life. We have this, this limited view. We think that everything that we are, th- we have a tendency to think that everything that we think should go as planned or it's perfect in our minds and it, it just can't be wrong. There, there's no other way it should be done other than the way that we're thinking. And all I'm asking you to do this morning is point number two is even in the midst of all of this is focus on God's ex- expectation for you. Focus on God's expectation for you. Don't worry so much about who got what or what's happening with somebody else or why you didn't get this or why you feel like you deserve this, but focus on God's expectation for you, where he has you. Too often, too, too many times what our tendency is, is to, we look at other people's lives and say, well, life is good for them. You know, financially they're doing well, they're healthy. But then we have to understand and be, remind ourselves that there's common grace in this that God gives common grace to all of us. And that doesn't mean that he's showing them favor just by giving common grace. Second Peter 3, verses 8 and 9 remind us that. It says, uh, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So when it, feel, when it feels like the wicked are getting away with things, understand God's working on a completely different clock than we are. We feel like, you know, they've gotten things for a month, a year, 10 years. That's too long. But God has a different clock. He's working on an eternal clock, not ours. And he's giving everyone, including you and I at some point in our life, a chance to repent. A chance to repent. And all throughout Scripture, we see this. Prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet calling people to repentance. They're doing evil things. They're calling to repentance. Even look at Jonah. Jonah, he didn't want to go to Nineveh because he knew that God would be able to save them. He didn't want to see them saved. But God sent him in the belly of a fish to Nineveh because he wanted Jonah to preach to them to repent. Verses 12 and 13, I mentioned it as I was reading, but there's a change of course that happens here for Solomon. He says in verse 12, though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, but what we need to understand there is this is, this is what it appears to be. It appears that he's prolonging his life. It appears to be they're getting away with things longer than they should. But then verse 13 gives us a re- reality. It says, wickedness seems long, but it stops. It's going to stop, right? It's going to stop at death. It will not be well with the wicked. They really don't prolong their days because at some point in time it's going to stop. Death is going to be the end for all. And there will come a day where the wicked, they will be judged the great white throne judgment, right? And so while, yes, it, does, it may seem like that in Solomon's eyes that where, where, where's justice, God? Why are they getting away with it? We need to understand that there comes a time where we all will be judged. And the wicked will be judged at the great white throne judgment. But for us as Christians, that doesn't mean that we just say, well, you know what? They deserve that judgment. They're going to be judged. No, our job is to go out there and preach the truth. We shouldn't want to see anybody perish. We, sh- wouldn't, we shouldn't want to see anybody 
suffer the judgment that those that are going to hell are going to suffer. So we need to be out there and continuously sharing truth, continuing to plant those seeds, hoping that God can change their hearts, will change their hearts, just as he's done for you and I. Judgment will come. The question we have to ask ourselves is, do we live a life that's trusting that God will take care of it in the end? Do your actions in your life reflect that you trust that God will take care of everything that needs to happen, everything that's unjust, everything that's evil in the end? Because if you do, you, you spend less time focused on what's happening outside and you spend more time focused on what is God calling you to do during this situation. But Solomon's not done. He continues to wrestle with this in verse 14, back in our passage. He says, there is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this is also vanity, and I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I apply my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that God has, that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one eye see sleep, then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find out. So Solomon in, in verse 14 is saying, you know, bad things happen to good people, and it seems like all the good things are happening to bad things. And, and, and he's struggling with that, as you and I would struggle with that today. Doesn't seem right. Seems like something should be done differently, God. But we, we, we think about that, and, and Solomon tells us that we should have joy. We should have joy even in those circumstances. Why? Because our joy is long-term. Our joy is knowing what's going to happen in the end. It doesn't call us to be happy. Happy is circumstantial. There's a difference there with joy. Let's just say, you know, you and I were going to lunch, and we had lunch meetings scheduled on the calendar, and, you know, a day before I called you and said, hey, I had to cancel. I need to cancel. I got something coming up. Um, he said, okay. But I said, hey, let's schedule for the following day. And the following day came. I said, you know what? I had to cancel on you yesterday. Let's, uh, I'm, I'm going to treat you. Right, let's go to Ruth Chris. Don't try to get on my schedule. I'm not taking any of you to Ruth Chris. Not happening. But let's just say, you know what? We're going to Ruth Chris. We're going to get a steak for lunch. And then I, I, you get the Ruth Chris. You sit at the table. I'm not there. And I text you and I say, hey, I'm about 10 minutes out. But go ahead and order an appetizer. Go ahead and order, order your entree, and I'll be there, and I'll get mine ordered right away. So you order, and 10 minutes goes by, 30 minutes goes by, an hour goes by. You don't hear from me. So you're calling. My phone's going straight to voicemail. And now you're stuck with this bill, the appetizer and a steak, thinking that I'm going to pay for it, but you've got to pay for it, and you're eating alone. So you're probably not too happy with me. Yeah? So you're calling, trying to figure out, you can't get a hold of me. I stood you up in your mind. And then a, a day later, you get a, a call from my number. You don't want to talk to me, though, right? I just stood you up. I made you cough up 
you know, $75, whatever it is, to pay for a meal, and I didn't even let you know. But then when you get a chance to listen to my voicemail, you hear my wife on the other end of the phone. And she says, hey, I know you had a, a lunch with Kellen scheduled, but I just want to let you know he got in a bad car accident. And he had to go into emergency surgery. But the first thing that he did when he got out of surgery is he said, hey, make sure you call him and let him know that I'm sorry I didn't get to make it. And I'm going to send him a $100 gift card to Ruth Chris, and we'll get something scheduled on the calendar soon. Well, see, your, your, your mindset changed about me, right? Before there was an explanation, I was a bad person in your mind. It's probably the worst person on staff that you can think of. You'll never go to lunch with me again. But once you got some context about what was going on, you got full explanation of the story of why I wasn't there, then it probably changed. You probably went from being mad at me to having compassion and wanting to check in on me. And you see that happens in our life is we have this, this short-term view. We have a limited view of life. And so what we need to do is to make sure and understand that we have limitations in life. And that's our final point this morning is understand that we have limitations on life. We have, let me get that correct, understand our limit, limited view on life. Understand our limited view on life. You see, we, don't, we think we know the whole entire story. We think we know the ins and the outs and what should happen. But oftentimes we have a limited view on life and we're not able to understand the full context until we actually know it and understand it. And he, he's calling us to have joy. And that's why we can have joy because we, we know, we have a relationship with the person who does have full context and full understanding. And even Paul knew this. Paul knew this in, in Philippians. He's, he's in jail. And oftentimes we think, oh, Paul's in jail. He's probably in one of those nice Roman prison cells with a recliner drinking Starbucks from Rome, like, writing, a, writing a letter. No, like they wanted to kill Paul. But yet he's still saying, I I'm rejoicing. I, I, it's good that I'm here because God has me here. And the reason he can rejoice is because he understands and trusts the person that has full view of everything. And he's not focused in on just his limited view of what's going on. And one thing we have to understand is it's going to be within our fleshly nature to try to know everything and figure it all out. We want to have all the answers because it allows us to feel like we're in control. But all, what Solomon wants us to see here is, look, we're not going to have all the answers. We have a limited view of life. When things are going wrong in our life, it's for a reason, but it may be a reason we don't know. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says God's ways are higher than our ways, right? His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And Solomon gets into, at the end of this chapter, in Ecclesiastes 12, 12, he, he tells us this, of just giving us a, a, a warning about trying to do too much study. He says, my son, beware of anything beyond these, of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. So much study, trying to figure things out, trying to figure things out, trying to figure everything out, as opposed to distrusting what God has in front of you, can cause much stress, anxieties. And Solomon's warning us, look, it's okay to study, it's okay to, 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 to gain more knowledge and wisdom, but yet don't let that be your whole life's goal, is to try to figure this thing out, because you can't. And look, there's many books out there, right? The keys to life. We've figured it out. No, they haven't. They haven't. 
right? It's like a, you know, it's an insecurity more often than not for people to have of like, hey, I figured it out and I want you to, to hear it from me. But the Bible is clear, we're not going to figure it out. We're not going to figure out all the mysteries of life. But what we can do is continue to trust God, knowing that he has all of it figured out. He has it already set. Going back to my story about LASIK, eventually I did go into the surgery room. I manned up and went in there and trusted all the people that had told me that it was going to be good before. And as the gal was working on my eye, my vision became very blurry. And I got a little negative again. I'm like, here we go. This is my vision for the rest of my life. It's going to be blurry. But the one thing that was comforting during that time is she remained calm and she reminded me that, look, it's going to be blurry. It's going to be a little tough to see, uh, but everything is going according to plan. Everything is right on schedule. You're doing great. And it helped me throughout this time because I, I trusted her. She had experience. She had been here before. She, she'd done this process thousands thousands of times. And so she could walk me through it clearly. And she wasn't just there by accident, right? She, she knew what she was doing. She was the person that was supposed to be there. And within minutes, my vision went from being foggy and blurry to, to pretty clear right, right off the bat. And you see, for us, there will come a day where we'll get a perfect vision, and it's going to be permanent. And we're going to be able to see all the things that, that happened in life and, and understand, have a better understanding of the reason that they happened. Because we'll have more than just our limited view that we have of life right now. But that's not here today. Until that time comes, when we have that perfect lens, that perfect view from eternity standpoint, we need to focus on what God's plan for us is today. And that plan includes obeying and following the leaders that he's put in front of us. Some of them are bad. Some of them are, you, you feel like they're not worthy. I get it. Not being so quick to say this person's not worthy, but how can, I, how can I find a way to obey this leader? Should be our first mindset. And then secondly, find out what God has planned for you there in that situation. Whatever the situation is, whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether it's difficult, whether it's hard, whatever it is, find out God's plan for you. And don't strive to know it all, but spend your life striving to be in relationship with the one person that does know it all. And that's God and our creator. Let's pray. God, thank you uh, for your word that you've given us. Uh, your word is sufficient, and it is everything that we need to know to operate in this life, to glorify you in this life. There's a lot of answers. There's a lot of unknowns that Solomon struggled with and we struggle with today, that we, we just want answers. We want to know what's going to happen in the end, but you don't call us to know what's going to happen every step of the way. You don't call us to be a know-it-all. You call us to trust you and know that your word is, is enough and have a relationship with you, knowing that you're in full control and you are the person that um, has everything set out. And you, you want good for us, Lord. Even in the trials and tribulations that we have in life, ultimately you, you say that all things will work out for good. Help us to trust that more, Lord. Even as this day, these days get tougher and tougher, being a Christian in this world gets tougher and tougher. It's all part of your perfect plan and help us to be faithful in seeking to um, 
honor your plan, honor your will, and help that to reflect in every day, every day and every minute of our life. Pray for this time uh, in small groups that it is profitable and that we can uh, keep our minds focused on you and how we can glorify you more and more uh, starting.